coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances. Whether you rent, buy, or pay PMI, we are talking about housing and all things that go along with it. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, great to see you for another week. Great to be joining you as well, Ross. And we're talking about a common theme for us. It feels like housing is something that comes up very frequently on our show, to the point that I almost worried that we talk about it too much. We do, but to be fair, you and I are faced with constant decisions around housing, and I think that's probably true for a lot of people. Yeah, and it's a huge purchase for people, so I'm not that concerned that it's something that comes up a lot. It's often the biggest asset on somebody's balance sheet, so uh, I don't necessarily think it's a problem that we talk about housing a lot on a personal finance-oriented show, but it, it is something that crosses our minds a lot and that you and I seem to talk about all the time. All right, now before we get into our housing discussion, I did want to address a listener question because I think we can do so uh, without taking a ton of time from the show. So this question comes to us from Pete. And Pete asks, he says, my wife and I are in our early 40s. We're both expecting an annual bonus at work, which would be paid in the first paycheck of 2022. We both max out our 401ks annually and are debt free except for a mortgage. I was wondering your thoughts on having one or both of us have our entire bonus or first paycheck of the year directed into the 401ks to help us hit our annual max earlier in the year rather than just a percentage of the check. Is this a reasonable strategy if we don't need the money and would save or invest it outside of the 401k otherwise? Thanks for the great show. It's hard to believe we're already thinking about 2022. Great question from Pete. I love a lot of things about that. And first of all, congrats, Pete. Sounds like you and your wife are doing a lot of things right saving aggressively, and looking for even more powerful ways to do so. So kudos to you. Uh, Dan, what comes up for you when you hear the question? So when you asked me that question, I simply wanted to answer the question. But you actually had a better thought that I think is a good place to start than simply deciding whether they should dump it all in at once or spread it out over the year. So why don't you share where your mind went to first? Because I'm not even sure a lot of people would be thinking in that way. Okay, so the first consideration that I had was, does that sacrifice your match if you front load? So depending on the 401k, and 401ks are really, really a strange area because as we've mentioned before, each employer is going to do some unique things in the way they set up their plan. There's like how the law restricts them and there's how ERISA plans are generally set up. But then each employer gets to write their own plan document, and that's really unique. And that's why when we're talking about 401ks, the answer is almost it always depends. But depending on if you've got a match and how that match is calculated, sometimes you will only get the match on a month-to-month -month basis if you are continuing to make contributions. So by front-loading, you risk the match from really February through December. If that's the case... You absolutely should not do this. And what you want to do is make that regular ongoing contribution. 
Your employer may do it at the end of the year as a profit sharing calculation, or they might do the match just based on the total percentage that you put in. So you really want to reach out to your HR folks or whoever your plan administrator is at work and ask them, if you have a match, how do they do the calculation? And if you max out too early in the year or at any point early in the year, does that sacrifice what you're ultimately going to get? I love that. So starting there, I think, is is where you want to be. Reach out to your HR team, understand more about how your plan works. Now, assuming that it is a viable option to front load your contributions, the way I think about it is typically I like front loading my investment and getting my money working sooner than later. The attractive thing you might think about depositing it throughout the year is that in that event, you get to dollar cost average into your investments. That's nice because you don't know what the movement of the market is going to be on a week-to-week or month-to-month basis, and that gives you the opportunity to buy in at different price points. And it avoids the disappointment of putting all your money to work right at the beginning of the year and then potentially being faced with the market pullback and then having regret for that decision that you made. But the reason I tend to like getting my money to work sooner than later, Vanguard actually did a study comparing investing upfront versus dollar cost averaging into an investment over a period of time. And what they found is that about two thirds of the time, investing upfront yielded better results than dollar cost averaging. About a third of the time, that won out. Well, yeah. And it's something that you and I think about a lot is as soon as we can get our money making money, in theory, we want to do that if we assume that the long-term trajectory is up and to the right for the markets, which is generally our core positioning. But if you're at a market top, and granted, we are at all-time highs or essentially very close to them right now, dollar cost averaging can make some sense. So I think a lot of people, that's a psychological issue because I agree with the Vanguard study. If you've got a lump sum of cash, I think it's sometimes tough for people to invest it. And the question becomes, would what would you hate more if you invest everything today and the market drops by 10, 15 or more percent and you're going to be on that ride? Or if you don't invest everything today and the market is going to rise 10 or 15 percent and you're going to miss out? I think a lot of people are more uncomfortable by the loss than they are with the uh, missing out of a gain, which they really shouldn't be. I think both of those are equally damaging in the long run. But again, you kind of have to know yourself a little bit. But in Pete's case, it even sounds like they might invest the money regardless. It's just whether or not it's going to go into the 401k or not. Uh, and so I, I really think it's mainly the matching question. And then perhaps just kind of splitting the difference if if in in fact it's not going to sacrifice the match for either he or his wife, you know maybe they front load one and dollar cost average in the other. Right, both are good options. You're you're working towards a positive thing, however you do it. And in the face of those kinds of scenarios where they're both good, splitting the difference is often a nice way to compromise. For sure. All right, I think we spent more time on that than we intended to. Let's move over to our primary topic of the day which is housing and real estate. This has been a really crazy market. Uh, I was looking at the data. I've got the Case-Shiller Home Price Index, the Composite 20, which is kind of 20 metropolitan markets. The one-year number for that Case-Shiller Home Price Index is up 14.63% in the last year. So if you are a homeowner, uh, you are likely sitting on some meaningful gains from where you were just a year ago. 
I realize that is along with some inflationary pressure and some other things where your costs have probably gone up. But as a homeowner, there's a lot to be pretty happy about right now if you're looking at what's going on with home prices. There is, but it comes with also a conflicting feeling because knowing that my home has skyrocketed in value gives me the feeling like I want to do something about it. But there's actually nothing to do about it unless you're, you know, there's not a lot you can do about it because if I'm thinking, well, I should sell my home and capture the equity, I've got to go somewhere. And if home prices are up, odds are I'm not going to get a ton of value buying something new. And uh, if you want to rent, you're also in for quite a surprise if you're in a big metropolitan area. And that was one of the things that I was shocked by. So I looked at rentals in my local zip code and there, I believe, was one single family home because I was trying to do an, as close to an apples to apples comparison. There was one single family home that was renting for less than what I'm paying on my mortgage. Every single other one, and that one was actually a meaningfully smaller home, square footage wise. So everything at my size or above is renting for more than what I'm paying on my mortgage. And I think that's a little bit shocking. And I, in some cases, I think that's the allure of people that want to buy and rent out real estate, which I'm not normally a huge fan of. But that's really, really crazy because I normally think of renting as what you're going to do when affording a home is a challenge for you. And it doesn't look that affordable, at least locally here. Right. People are faced with a lot of bad options when it comes to a cost-effective way to find housing, and we're in the DC metropolitan area, and and you know that's tough to begin with, and pricing has only gone up from there. So, Dan, one of the things that people talk about when they when they think about that buy or rent decision seems to be the risk of having a mortgage. And in my mind, if you owe somebody rent and you owe a mortgage payment, those are about the same to me in terms of my urgency on where I would put them, right? Keeping a a roof over your head is pretty much your number one priority. So if you are otherwise running into issues, lapses in income, other things going on, of things that you're going to want to protect and continue to pay, the home price is almost number one, right? Whether that's rent or a mortgage payment. Why do you think it affects people more in terms of their fear when it's actually a mortgage? I think it might just be the whole process of home buying is so involved. You have to sign all these papers. You have to come to the closing with tons of money. So you're investing up front. And then there's the pain of having a foreclosure on your credit, right? Is is something that will last with you forever. So I think you're right. They're effectively the same thing, whether you get evicted from a rental or foreclosed on for your home. But it just must be something about that process that's so different if it's a bank foreclosing on you. I don't necessarily think that we've seen as many foreclosures. And I think a lot of that is because of what we just mentioned is that home prices are up. So people that are in trouble with their home can probably list them and at least break even on where they're at, right? So if you've owned your home for any period of time, the likelihood, unless something has gone really wrong inside it, is that you could get that cash back out at a minimum of what you've put into it. In a situation like 2008, when we went through the housing crisis, the problem was people were underwater. And so number one, they didn't have any equity or they had negative equity in their homes. So they couldn't go list and get what they needed out of it. And then you had a lot of job loss. And so there was kind of this double whammy of a loss of value and then a loss of income, which really stuck people. So I'm not saying that that's always the case that that you can just sell your home and get out of it. But right now, at least in the environment we've been in, 
I would expect foreclosure rates to be fairly low just as a result of that. Right. And even just uh, by absorption through my wife looking through real estate for other people, I feel like I used to hear about more foreclosure opportunities on the market than I do now, where you know now it's just traditional sales rather than short sales or foreclosures. So we've got Y charts as one of our data providers. And sure enough, uh, foreclosures look like they are down meaningfully over the last three years. Now, you've also got a lot of forbearance issues and some protections for homeowners. So maybe they're going to tick back up. Uh, but that number does look like it's down quite a bit. Uh, so Dan, you and I have both learned some new things. And I think that's part of why we're talking about this on the show today. One of them was about private mortgage insurance. Uh, and as we're kind of wandering through the housing landscape and just what's going on in it, private mortgage insurance is a big deal for a lot of people because it's going to affect anybody that is trying to make that home purchase decision but isn't putting a full 20% down, which quite frankly is a lot of folks, especially in an area like ours, where putting together 20% down payments on really expensive properties takes a long time or could take a very long time. What did you learn recently? Yeah, this surprised me. So I learned that if you have an FHA loan that was taken out, I believe it's after 2013, private mortgage insurance will not necessarily automatically fall off of your payment when you reach a certain equity level in your home. In fact, if you put down less than 10% when you bought your home, that private mortgage insurance is not going to come off automatically at all. It's going to stay on your payment until you call up your servicer and ask them to remove it once you've surpassed 20% equity. So you might be there what's it, 2021, eight years into a loan paying mortgage insurance that you don't have to unless you were kind of diligent enough to look at it and call them up and ask for it to be removed. The And if you put more than 10%, but below 20, it's going to stay on for 11 years before it automatically falls off. That was shocking to me. That can amount to hundreds or thousands of dollars a year for a lot of people. And just, just to go back, so FHA, when we say that, because that gets thrown around, around a lot in the industry, but that's a Federal Housing Administration loan. So FHA loans are generally geared towards first-time home buyers or people that have maybe a lower than average credit score. They generally require a lesser down payment, as little as 3% to get into a home. And so FHA is a federal program that is trying to make it easier to be a home buyer. And as a result, what you're going to have is a little bit of an insurance cost, and you're really insuring the lender so that they can take on less risk for you putting down less money, which obviously in their mind, if you're going to put down 20%, even if the home depreciates by 20%, even if it goes down in value by 20%, if you struggle to make your mortgage payment, they can kick you out they can sell the home and they get their money back. Because you're not putting down as much, there's less room before they start losing money. And so you're basically buying them insurance. That's what private mortgage insurance is, is insuring the lender for what they hoped you would have put down as a down payment. But for that not to go away, that's a really big deal. On a regular conventional loan, normally the private mortgage insurance goes away. Now, it can go away at 80% loan-to-value, and we're a little bit in the weeds here, so I hope people are sticking with us. But normally, when you get to 80% loan-to-value, you can ask them to take it away. When it gets to 78%, they have to take it away. 
That's crazy that they get an extra 2% of collecting your insurance premiums if you're not paying attention, but they do. So in a normal conventional loan, if you bought a $500,000 property, when you owe $400,000, you can call and say, get rid of this private mortgage insurance. When the loan gets to three ninety, they have to get rid of it. Well, the difference between four hundred and three ninety might be six to twelve months of mortgage payment. So they get to collect an extra, you know, let's call it several hundreds or thousands of dollars, even in that case. So I think our charge here is just to say, check your loan. Take a look. Look at what your loan to value is based on what your mortgage lender thinks your home is worth. And you might have an opportunity to save yourself some cash by calling them and seeing if your loan to value is good enough that you can get rid of the private mortgage insurance if you happen to have that on your loan. Now, one reason earlier I said there is almost nothing to do about rising home prices is that if you were on the bubble and not quite at 20% equity for your home relative to where your loan was issued and your house has appreciated in value to the point where you now believe you have more than 20% equity, there's a chance you could call up your servicer and have them reappraise your home and determine whether that mortgage insurance can drop off. There might be a cost associated with that, so you'll need to determine whether that's worth it or not. But that is something you can do. The other opportunity for mortgage insurance to fall off is if you're refinancing a loan and now have 20% equity and uh, if you, ha- I don't know where you've been if you haven't refinanced at least 17 times in the last three years like me. Dan, you've made a hobby out of it. You, you make it look like it's something that you enjoy on the weekends. I am so good at it. So good that, you know, I should start a, a fifth business of helping people refinance. But yeah, if you haven't refinanced in the last, you know, few years, you, may, you might want to look at it and see if you can save yourself money both from an interest perspective, but also potentially having that mortgage insurance drop off as part of that process. So the other thing, you know, when people are refinancing their loan and you're going to basically get this new windfall on a month to month basis, be intentional about saving that money, right? Because you basically already adjusted your budget to deal with that mortgage expense. And so I think that's a great spot where if you're not currently at the savings rate that you want to be at or that you think you should be at, you know, anytime you've got kind of a new influx of cash flow, I think that's a good time to reevaluate your savings rate and potentially start committing some new cash towards your mid or longer term goals. Because you can quickly, quickly, quickly absorb that cash into your budget, no problem, and find new things to spend it on. But that's a good time to be able to recapture it for your savings. Yeah, and make it automatic. Your mortgage payment was likely automatic. Have your savings be automatic too and sweep it out into whether it be a savings account, a brokerage account, somewhere where you don't need to think about moving that money because it's happening for you. All right, so we had one other thing that we wanted to bring up because I think this was new information for us as well pretty recently. And this is for somebody that might be buying a property. So for somebody that is moving around right now, looking for a new purchase or moving, This is a huge savings opportunity, Dan. Can you explain what you learned? I learned this by absorbing the conversations that my wife was having around the house with her clients. But one expense that you'll incur when you're buying a home is associated with with the title process, right? As part of that, you need to purchase title insurance for your property, and that can be expensive. But one easy way to save potentially a lot of money 
is to have the seller of a home provide you with their title policy as you're buying it. And then in lieu of originating a whole new title insurance policy, you can get what's called a reissue because the work has already been done, potentially saving you thousands of dollars at closing. Now, it's a, it sounds like the most boring thing I can think of explaining it, but you know it can be thousands of dollars of savings, which is very material when you're already spending money on all this other stuff. So Dan, this is when it's considered a reissue, right? So it's not necessarily that they're transferring the existing title insurance, but they're basically saying we already have it. So it's probably a clean title. So we're going to give you a discount on this new issuing policy versus having to redo it. Right. My my non-professional understanding is that the title search has been done, right? They have the the work that's been done and can feel more secure in reissuing a policy based on that title than starting from scratch and making sure that it's clean. Well, that at least sounds like a better option until we can get all of our real estate transactions on the blockchain, which is what you and I think they should do with it. Apparently, it's happening in some in some fashion somewhere. That's that's certainly going to be right around the corner, or at least other uses for blockchain technology. Other other uses besides for buying my monkey butt art on blockchain in its NFT form. <laughs> oh man, we had too much fun in, in that conversation with Bill last week. So that's it for our show this week. We just wanted to talk through some of the things that we had learned, some of the considerations. What are you doing with your house? Are you refinancing right now? Are you moving? Are you trying to take that equity and move to some lower cost of living area as part of the great relocation and great resignation that's going on? We'd love to hear from you. Check your balances at outlook.com is the email address for our show. And we are happy to send you a check your balances mug for any question that we're featuring on the show. We love hearing from our listeners and hope that you're getting something great from our show. And if you want a rental in Ross's neighborhood, you know there's one available for a little less than he pays on his mortgage if you're willing to accept a smaller-sized house. There you go. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will catch you all next week. <laughs>